Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Those cold northern winds will be blowing across our Great Plains. And if you're feeling the shiveries inside your house, time to talk to your local Pella Omaha and Lincoln expert about taking a closer look at your windows. Save energy and stay warm with windows from Pella that are properly installed the patented Pella way by professionals using windows and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. For more information on that, check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my friends at Runza, you know, so after Nebraska and uh, and Northwestern, after the game, my wife and I were trying to kind of comfort the frustrations that we were feeling after the Nebraska loss. And, you know, there was only one place that that my wife and I and my kids wanted wanted to go, and that's Runza. My wife, she got the berry chicken salad. I love a good cheese Runza. My four-year-old daughter, Mava, she loves the cheeseburger kids meal. And, of course, we all love the best fries in the world at Runza. And you know what? We all sat down. We ate Runza as a family, and we felt better. That's Runza. Comforting, delicious, brings us all together. Runza makes it all better. All right, on the uh, on the podcast today, one of my favorite writers uh, and and sports perspectives on uh, on things. He's just got such an interesting mind. Dirk Chatlin, Omaha World Herald. You know, Dirk wrote a column after the Northwestern loss, asking kind of the simple question of, "Hey, well, you know, what has happened to to Frost's offense?" The headline is. It's hard to believe Scott Frost's offense is holding him back. And it's very it's a very interesting column. And it's really the most interesting topic in the moment for Nebraska football. Just what has happened to this offense? You know, what was supposed to be the identity of, of this program under Frost, high scoring, fast pace, electric playmakers all over the, the, the field. It just isn't happening right now. Uh, so I wanted to get Dirk on to to really dive into this offense and discuss what is actually going on with the playmakers and the wide receivers and the running back situation and the quarterbacks and and Frost in particular. Uh, just certainly a lot to unpack with trying to diagnose uh, this offensive situation for Nebraska. Let's uh, let, let's get to it, man. Enough of me. You're really going to enjoy this. Dirk was was fantastic. Here is my podcast chat with Omaha World Herald's Dirk Chatlin. Enjoy. On the line now is uh, Dirk Chatlin, Omaha World Herald. Uh, he's a guy that I've known for a long time, and I, uh, I, I just every time there's a column, I read it. Any thought he has, I read it. Uh, Dirk, man, it's uh, it's great to catch up with you. There's a lot of things to talk about. First of all, how are you? I'm doing good. The uh, the vaccine's coming. The Masters is this week. Uh, Teresa yes. Greenfield and Joni Ernst are off of my television. Things are going well. Can you just assure me? <laughs> that somehow, can you just assure me that somehow Greg McDermott doesn't have the worst luck of all time and he potentially has his two best teams ever at Creighton and one tournament gets canceled and, and you know, you and I were just bantering before we get, we got started here that, that we're going to be able to see this Creighton team eventually kind of spread its wings in the NCAA tournament. Can you give me some confidence? Just come on, give me some. Well, Nick, uh, not only, um, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but, but yes, I, I'm really concerned about college basketball. I mean, anything indoors, you know, is, is really worrisome for this winter, including school. Um, right. But, but I just worry that a lot of these schools are going to say, well, we, you know, we've been over backwards to make football happen, but basketball doesn't carry quite the same weight. And therefore, you know, we're going to maybe have a game every two weeks. And then when we get to March, we'll have a, 
you know, 256 team NCAA tournament. Uh, I just, it, I'm afraid that it's going to be expendable to a lot of schools uh, if they can't get the virus under control. And obviously that hurts Creighton more than anybody. Um, I, I love this Creighton team. Uh, I think they really found an identity last year, not so much in, in the three point shooting, but just the grit, yeah. you know, the small ball, uh, and, and I think, frankly, I think they're underrated at number 11. I mean, I don't know how you finish the season where they finished uh, and then, you know, return what they return and actually fall in the rankings. But I, I think they're sort of being overlooked again. So, uh, you know, for, for everybody around here, including Creighton fans, I sure hope there's a college basketball season. So one last thing on this, then we'll get to Nebraska. But I, I'm totally with you on and, – and I get it where your track record matters – but I find it interesting how some people have like Villanova ranked number one. Right. And I'm like, okay, time out. Creighton was ever been as good as Villanova. I actually thought they were better than they were last year. They beat Nova at their place. I don't know if you remember the game in Omaha, but Creighton led that game for 33 minutes and it just kind of got away from him for a few minutes. Both the both teams lose the arguably their best player in Sadiq Bay and Tyshan Alexander. I don't know. I'm just like and I get, I mean, it's like, well, Nick, Jay Wright's won, you know, two national titles and Greg McDermott hasn't even been in the Sweet 16 and there, there's your answer. But I, I'm surprised at how everyone just looks at Villanova on paper and goes absolutely better than Creighton. I don't think it's just Villanova, Nick. I think there's a lot of teams in the top 10 that are like that where, you know, you there's still a lot of sort of projection. Um, and it's so unusual in college basketball these days to have a team that that is you know legitimately returns 80 90 percent of of you know its contribution and and you know Creighton I think is in such a strong position I'm a little surprised that they're not frankly um you know I thought they'd be more like fifth or sixth yeah me too um so you know it doesn't matter no. I mean this stuff this stuff all plays itself out but uh, if I were Greg McDermott, I think I would probably use that as a little bit of a motivator. I'm with you. Okay, uh, you know, you you wrote on uh, on after the game against Northwestern, you know, kind of just basically, hey, what has happened to this to Scott Frost offense? And I, the the thing that's always interesting for me for a, for a new coach is where do you draw the line on establishing your style? versus what gives you the best chance to win in the moment. Like, I thought Mike Riley's square peg, round hold Tommy Armstrong in year one, but then kind of went back on it in year two and tried to alter his system to fit Tommy Armstrong. I, I look at last year, Fred Hoiberg established his style right away, even in the face of a ton of losses. I guess I, I can't quite figure out where all this is at with Frost, because in year one, they it, they were playing fast, right? Like, it, I thought it looked like it... it was going to look, but now it not so much. So I guess my question is, why hasn't the offense looked? I'm not even necessarily saying performed, but just looked like it did at Central Florida and at Oregon. Nick, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a great question. I, I've been trying to reflect a little bit on on why Saturday's loss uh, stung people as much as it did. I mean. It, you know, and on one hand, it, it's because Nebraska hasn't won a game in, in almost 365 days. And, you know, they've lost, what, seven of their last eight. Um, and I, I feel like when you go through as much as Nebraska did in the offseason, there was just sort of there's just sort of a sense after Saturday that people had been, you know, misled or duped uh, into thinking that this team was better than it was. 
And that's a very familiar feeling for the Nebraska fan base. So, so that's obviously part of it. I mean, there's, there's kind of a, you know, Charlie Brown kind of kick the football thing. Um, But, but the other part of this, and I think maybe, you know, you touched on it in in your podcast with, with Bo and I, I wrote about it Sunday Um, when it's, when it's the strength of your program or the supposed strength of your program that is letting you down, I think that it, it is, it just sort of cracks the armor even more. No doubt. Um, and, you know, I, you, you touched on it. Um, you know, when Polini's defense fell apart in 2012, 13, 14, uh, it, it was just like, it was different. You know, it's, I think we respond a little bit better to, um, you know, for instance, back then it was, uh, you know, the, the, the defense is, is sound. You can't get the offense to work. You know, if, if, if he, he can ever get the offense to work, the program is really going to be, you know, thriving, but man, when it's, when it's your calling card, when it's the, when it's the identity of the program that is letting you down. And in this case, obviously it's, it's the opposite. It's frost offense. Uh, it just, it, it zaps your confidence uh, much more than the other way around. And, and I think that's a big part of the response to Saturday. Uh, that certainly was my primary instinct is it's just like, man, this is what you do. Right. If, if we can't count on you to do what you do, how is this program ever going to succeed? Right. And, and I, you know, it's like you just said, I mean, it's part of it is um, part of it is pace. Part of it is uh, there's lots of different reasons for it. I mean, playmakers on the outside and quarterback inaccuracy, uh, which you just can't tolerate in an offense like this where you're trying to, you know, dink and dunk. Uh, but, but, you know, the bottom line is they just can't score points. And and I think it comes back, you know, on the quarterback shoulders, which is why, which is why Martinez and McCaffrey are so much in the spotlight right now. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Something major has changed um, in, in Frost program. And I just thought, I thought if there was a certain thing, if there was any certainty, it was that Frost, it was Scott Frost was going to be able to score. Right. You know, right. they were going to score, they were going to score 30 or 40 points. They might lose 45 to 42. Um, they might not be able to stop Wisconsin's run game. You know, there were all sorts of reasons why Nebraska might not succeed under Scott Frost, but it wasn't supposed to be because they can't score. And, and man, it just, I think it really um, has jolted people around here to know that the thing that they thought was most certain is not certain anymore. Totally agree. What I can remember you and I recorded a podcast in, I think September of last year, and you were the first one to go, can we all slow down on the Adrian Martinez Heisman hype? And I can remember, I can still picture looking at you and I remember in my mind, I was like, really? Why? Because you just hadn't heard anything uh, uh, like that. And now all of a sudden here we are, you know, gosh, 14, 15 months later, and, you know, we all probably should have slowed down on him. I, what happened? Because I think a part, of, a part of going what happened to the offense goes back to what happened to Adrian Martinez. Now, in his defense, I don't think everything is ideal around him, right? But nevertheless, it's tough because all the ingredients were there, right? Like Frost track record were quarterbacks. Uh, Martinez looking the part and showing impressive flashes in year one to now here we are in November of year three. And, I, you know, he I don't know how you wouldn't call him anything other than just kind of an average player right now. What what happened? <clears throat> I don't know. My concern freshman year was that I felt like 
um, there were some, a lot of those statistics I felt like were, I don't want to say meaningless, but they were sort of compiled in moments that didn't matter. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, empty stats, garbage time stats, or just trying to come back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't like a lot of real substantive, uh, drives, you know, I mean, he, he played pretty well at Ohio state. Um, but, but even down the stretch, I just felt like it was kind of empty in some ways and and we didn't know enough about him. I think most of the confidence with Adrian Martinez was based on what Frost had done with Mariota and, you know, Milton at UCF. And, um, I, I think the biggest thing with Martinez is, is clearly he's lost confidence. Um, and then just the inaccuracy, Nick, I mean, you know, it's, it sounds too simple, but, uh, I was looking at statistics the other night and, you, you, you go back through, you know, Mariota's three years at Oregon and he's at 65%, 68%, you know, 64% completion percentage. You know, Milton was, was in the mid sixties. Adrian was mid sixties freshman year. He went 12 for 27 on yeah, Saturday. Right. I mean, throwing the ball pretty much, you know, within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage most of the time. I mean, when you're trying to put drives together without big play capability, which is what Nebraska is doing right now, they don't have a lot of big play guys on the outside. You can't be 12 for 27. You know, you, a missed throw throws you out of rhythm and, and produces a punt more times than not. And there's just something with, I think primarily, yes, he's not as explosive probably with his feet as he was freshman year. But to me, the biggest thing is he's just lost accuracy and he's probably lost confidence. I think those two go hand in hand and uh, it's hard to see it coming back at this point. I mean, there's a pretty good sample size to judge Adrian Martinez on right now. Um, And, you know, I I think the development of of wide receiver talent on the outside uh, would certainly help because Nebraska needs some guys who can just go win 50 50 balls. Uh, but, but I don't know if that solves the offense right now. I think they need, um, they need some, some big playability, uh, that can obviously come from McCaffrey's feet. I think the concern with McCaffrey is I think no matter how good your quarterback run is, um, you know, you're still going to be put in positions where, where you've got to make precise throws. And I'm not sure that he's, you know, ready for, for a big 10 defense on third and eight, you know, when he's got to move the chains. So I don't know if there's a simple fix for Nebraska right now, but, but as you said, I think most of the problem, um, or at least the, the, the focus of the problem is what the heck happened to Adrian Martinez. You know, and then, you know, you expand it and you touched on some of the, you know, whether it's the wide receivers, just the personnel around him, because I just, now to be fair, some of these guys are young and they probably haven't been able to, to show what they can do, whether it's a Xavier Betts or whoever, but overall, I think it's hard to sit here and say, I can, I can see it. I can see that personnel. I mean, you, you just go, okay, the identity is high-scoring, fast, explosive offense. And I just don't see the – I mean, you better have the guys to do that. I mean, we talked about Creighton. Like, if Greg McDermott wants to play fast and shoot threes, well, guess what? You better have Mitch Ballock and Marcus Zagorowski and Tyshawn Alexander and Maurice Watt. You know, you, you better have the personnel that can fit that. And to me, I just look like other than flashes of Maurice Washington, who's no longer here, and flashes of Wondell Robinson, who's kind of gone on a milk carton here in the first two games of the season. I also think I just don't where where are where's Adrian Killens? Where you know where where are these like game breaker, game changer guys? Like even Mills, Mills isn't really like that in my opinion. So there's also an element of like, yes, the quarter. It all kind of starts with that QB, but like. 
the weaponry around him to me is is severely lacking. If you if you go back three years, and I think it was true to Oregon too, but it was especially notable in 2017 at UCF. It was almost comical when you watched UCF play, and you'd see plays where there was you know a, a pass down the seam to a tight end or a receiver, and there was no defender in the screen. It was like, <laughs> where's the defense? Are they playing on a field that's 200 yards wide? You know, it's like, and some of that is you know the. The, the defenses at Temple and Memphis and sure. places like that where it's it's more flag football than real football, but they're just there's no sense of that now when you look at Nebraska's big play talent. I mean it's they've got some tight ends that have nice size, uh, but who are you going to throw the ball to down the middle of the field that's that's keeping a safety honest? Who does a safety worry about right now? Uh, I think Nebraska has more the personnel of sort of a almost an old school Nebraska team or, you know, a, a grinded out, you know, old fashioned big 10 team where, where you run two tight end sets with one receiver out wide and a fullback and Diedrich Mills in the backfield. I mean, it's, it's just a really strange, um, you know, strange personnel group right now that Nebraska has. And I think it, it mostly comes back to, you know, speed on the outside. And as you, you know, as you noted, Robinson's been on a milk carton, but he's also kind of hard to get the ball to, yes. you know, I mean, if he's so small that it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get him the ball on the, on the defensive side of the line of scrimmage. I mean, you can hand it to him, you can throw him screens, but, but he does have his, his liabilities. So I don't know. It's, they really need those, those freshman receivers to develop quickly. Um, and they have to hope that those guys are, are game changers because right now, man, almost everything they do offensively is it's like they're playing in a phone booth. You know, everything's within five or 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And when you don't have a quarterback that can put those passes on the money, you know, where you're, where, uh, you know, there's some, some yards after catch, your offense just grinds to a halt. Right. Right. Do you think is Frost potentially finding out that it's, it's hard to get the personnel needed to play the, the style in Lincoln? Or is it too well, early to tell I, on that? I had a lot of conversations with with his old teammates, uh, former Huskers, you know, guys around the program two or three years ago. And the big the biggest sense of hope was that Frost would sort of restore the old school Nebraska model of player development, right? The strength and conditioning and um, you know, the walk-on program and creating depth. Depth is a huge thing at Nebraska. Uh, and then he would sort of complement that with with the playmakers on offense, the, the killings, you know, the guys that you saw at UCF that he would be able to pull out of Florida, bring up here um, and sort of force big 10 defenses to look around and say, wow, we, we, we don't remember that guy, you know, in, in Wisconsin or Minnesota, you know, there's, there's a different level of playmaking talent at Nebraska than there is at these other big 10 West schools. And that just has not materialized yet. I'm not saying it won't. Right. I mean, it's only, it's only September or November of year three. Uh, but, but that's really a missing link right now is for frost, you know, to make this offense hum, he's got to have speed. He's got to have guys uh, on the outside, especially who, who can take it 60, 70 yards. And, you know, not even by Frost standards is he lacking there. I think by like the average Big Ten offense standards, he's lacking in right. that area. They just right. 
it, it's it's the irony of it is just almost soul crushing to watch it. You know, it's like this is a Scott Frost offense. Right. What? Let's take a quick break to talk to you guys about my good friends at Runza. Got another super secret menu item that uh, when I when I revealed this super secret menu item uh, about a month or so ago, let's just say everybody's minds were blown. Everybody's minds were blown. Here's the deal. Did you know at Runza you can get anything on a Runza sandwich? Think about that. Yeah, you, you don't have to rewind it. In this, I, anything on a Runza sandwich. Like, I, I love a cheese Runza, but if I want to chuck it, throw pickles in there. I could throw a little mustard in there. I could throw some French fries in there. Anything within reason that's in the kitchen, you can ask for, and they'll add it in the Runza sandwich. How about that? Because every single Runza is made to order. They all start as an original with no toppings. Then they add toppings when you order, and boom, you got a custom Runza. You can't beat that. How about that? I'm sure your mind is blown. That's today's super secret menu item. I had to, had to revive this and tell you about it for my friends at Runza. The build your own Runza. Get into Runza today. Get one that's just for you, and tell them your pal Nick Baugh sent you. And while we're here, let's talk about Pella windows and doors. I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. Let's uh, let's pull up uh, let's pull up Pella's website right now. Look at this. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Five different types of windows or doors by Pella have won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. I mean, that's some that's that's incredible. And they achieve that in a couple of ways. You have the insulated glass which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. You have types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. You have triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all that, within all that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for windows and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Back to the podcast. Well, that because here's what's hard about, and I'll contradict my 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 answer right or my question right away is. Saying, well, can he get the personnel needed? Well, I mean, if if you gave Frost, Jordan Westerkamp, Brandon Riley, Alonzo Moore, Kenny Bell, Stanley Morgan, like those guys are are would be good enough to to move the ball right now. And those guys were in Lincoln. You, you know yeah. what I mean? So that's what's hard about it. And it's not like at the time we all were sitting there going, like, I tell you what, this wide receiver core is, you know, electric. I mean, we thought everybody thought they were good, but I don't think anyone necessarily thought you could, you know, you they were as good as any wide receiver core in the country. So it's like even just those guys who, in all reality, when when we write the book on Nebraska football, those guys aren't going to be headliners. Even those guys would be massive upgrades to what Nebraska has right now. Yeah, and it's really hard, Nick, because I think we, you know, we're we're all prone to it, but just instinctively, you uh, you create high hopes for these guys. I mean, <laughs> Omar Manning is Jerry Rice, and uh, <laughs> you know, it, I'm not I'm not knocking those guys down because they're you know they're college kids trying to learn the playbook and they're trying to develop and all that, but but man, uh, we really create high expectations for these guys. And then every year it's like, you get a few games into the season and it's like, wow, Northwestern has that same guy on their roster or, you know, 
Minnesota has three of those guys that Nebraska um, is that we're raving about here in the Nebraska offseason. So I, I feel like the the long offseason and uh, sort of the recruiting cycle, you know, generates generates a level of expectation that's you know, it's, it's difficult, uh, for these guys to match. And, and on the other hand, uh, I'll contradict myself and say it's, it shouldn't be that hard to get freshman receivers on the field no. or to have them, you know, to have them make a difference in a game. And, you know, we see it around the country where, and obviously there's examples like Alabama and Clemson, but, but it's not just those programs where, where, you know, offenses are incorporating playmakers, uh, early and finding, finding ways to get them the ball. So, um, you know, the, the receiver thing is, is really puzzling at this point. And uh, if there's one position group that you'd really see, like to see develop here over the next month, I think it's wide receiver. Yeah. And cause I'm with you on, you know, it shouldn't be this hard to get freshman wide receivers out there and comfortable playing. And, and I'm, and I was thinking about that the other day in Frost made a comment last week and I was kind of tongue in cheek, but he was like, boy, we have, we have probably set a record for most practices with only playing one game. It's not like this is a condensed fall camp where Alante right. Brown just got here three weeks ago. Like they've had plenty of zoom sessions, film sessions, seven on seven dry race sport. They've had plenty. So part of me is like, you've had an extended amount of time to get guys at least from a practice standpoint developed to get ready to play so it's like if you're not ready to get on the field now I, and I get that there's nothing quite like a game but what do we use that line all the time it's like boy I just, you know if if all they had was a fall camp to get ready to go that's that's a long time it's like well they've had longer than that well and Nick this is a very different era of football even than when you were playing you know I mean yeah. this is guys grow up playing receivers are so good now you know the seven on seven stuff is so uh is so popular that receivers come in better prepared i think than they ever have before um so that makes it you know that i think that enhances the point it's like uh these guys should be ready to go and and i again it, it's a tough combination because i think it's partly the lack of playmakers and it's partly you know quarterbacks who who just have a hard time delivering the ball and um man, when that's not working and you don't have like a real bell cow at running back, it's, uh, it's pretty tough to move the ball against a good defense. And I think Nebraska, you know, is, is pace was sort of the thing that we thought would be the wild card or the, you know, the X factor. Uh, and, and they clearly don't feel comfortable sort of going a hundred miles an hour yet, partly because they probably don't feel comfortable moving the chains yet. And uh, you just you boil it all down. You start looking at all the boxes that you have to check, and it's like Nebraska is a pretty average yes. Big Ten offense. Yeah. Uh, and that's again, that's that's sort of the source of the problem right now. Help me make. I, I got kind of a long-winded comment question here, and I want you to really try to help me make sense of this. So, you know, Nebraska's lost seven of the last eight games. Uh, you know, it's pretty amazing to think. I think now Nebraska's lost ten one-possession games under Frost. 10 of the 26 total games. And I think Severe had a had a had a stat yesterday. In Nebraska's last 40 games, they've only won 13. And during that time, Illinois won 12. So it just kind of puts you into context of who's your neighbor at this point. So when it comes to you are what your record says you are, Nebraska's got a long ways to go. But 
What's hard, though, is, Dirk, is I turn on that game, and I'm watching Nebraska and Northwestern, and Northwestern's undefeated and, and now pretty much in the driver's seat to win the West. And, Dirk, I know I'm a Lincoln boy born and raised, and I probably got some Husker blood in my heart, but Nebraska appears to be ever bit as good as they are. And Nebraska could have and maybe even should have won that game by 10 to 14 points. So... Help me make sense of that. Like, I get you are what your record says you are, but then I, I turn on these games, and it's not like I look at Purdue and I'm like, there, boy, Nebraska got a long ways to play with them. And I look at Northwestern, I go, boy, Nebraska got a long ways to go to before they're in Northwestern. So I'm like, no, nah, they're, they're right there to me. Help me make sense of that. I don't know, Nick. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I think for the last decade, um, probably longer, it's been really frustrating because – there's been so many games that are similar to what you're talking about. I mean, aside from Ohio state, you know, aside from playing, uh, you know, playing Saquon Barkley or, right. you know, Mich- Michigan, I mean, there are moments where Nebraska does appear to be outclassed, but, but 80% of the losses over the last decade have been in games that you walked away and kind of felt like, you know, Nebraska could have or should have won. And, I say that at the same time that I recognize and sort of shake myself um, that turnovers and penalties and mistakes are part of who you are. Agreed. Consistency Great is point. part of who you are. Yes. You can't say that, you know, Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving is the best ball handler in the NBA if he dribbles it off his foot three times a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, that's part of the equation. It doesn't matter how many times you can you know, cross somebody over, go between your legs. I mean, if you're dribbling the ball off your foot, that's, you know, that's part of who you are. And I think Nebraska, for all the little moments or flashes that they show sometimes, I mean, and I would, I think the the best example this year is obviously that first quarter against Ohio State. Um, There's, you know, the mistakes and the consistency is, is an essential piece of the equation that has been lacking for so long. So the question is, what is, what is that about? Is that, I mean, is, is that just, uh, is that a talent deal where, you know, average players can look good sometimes and, and eventually they're going to be exposed. Is that uh, a lack of discipline and concentration? Is it a culture thing? Is it a confidence thing where losers just find ways to lose? And until you, you know, you go over the mountaintop, you, you're not going to win those games in the fourth quarter. I think that's something that has puzzled coaches here. It has puzzled former players here uh, it's sort of the you know it's it's the primary feature or characteristic of of a mediocre football program they find ways to lose and i don't know i mean until you get uh just a difference making player uh you know hopefully at quarterback um that's probably the most most important part of it but until you get that guy that just walks in the door and says you know, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to tolerate this anymore. Uh, I don't know how you change it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's part of who they are. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's no different than my receding hairline or my, <laughs> you know, grumpiness. I mean, it's, it's just, um, I don't know how you change it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, and, and Nick, the thing that is so baffling is, is how consistent it's been. Right. The, yeah. From, everything can change from, the coaches from, from and the players. To system, right. From coach to coach, from, you know, from offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator, they make a staff change. They bring in somebody, you know, it's just so consistent. It's like it's in the walls of the Osborne complex. Right. Um, I don't know. It's, but what's so troubling about what's happening right now 
um, is that if it doesn't work for Scott Frost mm. here, what do you do? I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a thought I can't even I can't even I mean, begin to stomach. And, and, and look at what's happening in Michigan right now. I can't imagine what it's like to be at Michigan right now because it's like they're you know two or three years ahead in the cycle a little yeah, bit, right? Uh, where you know their savior came home and and they thought he was going to beat Ohio State and now he can't beat Indiana and Michigan State. You know, it's like uh, it's just sort of. I don't mean to be a doomsday because guy because I, I do think that. You know, Frost is is. Um, I think he has a, a chance to figure it out. But right. but man, when you start looking a couple years down the road and you say, what if what if this doesn't get better? Um, it's a it's a very scary thought. You're you're so you're so right because you know as you were saying it it like it, we try to and I'm I'm maybe more guilty. Of, I mean, I was guilty of it in the question I asked you. We try to separate penalties and sloppiness and turnovers from the overall view of of where you who you are as a team or where you slot a team and it's so interesting so I don't know I'm doing these these Husker classic recaps with with Bo we were doing it in in the offseason where we go back and we watch a, a classic Nebraska football game and you know whether it's the 83 Orange Bowl or or the 94 Colorado game the 94 national title game uh the 78 Oklahoma game you know whatever 97 Missouri I think the the thing that stands out to me in going back, and it's really like I think every Husker fan should do this as like an exercise. The thing that stands out to me in go back and watching Tom Osborne's teams and watching the excellence that was Nebraska then was beyond the physicality and all that. The thing that stands out is the details and how smart and how fundamentally sound and how good they were on special teams. And when Darren Erstad had to putt, punt in the 94 national time, he penned their ass, Dirk. I'm talking inside the 10 every time. Like the thing that stands out above all those other things was, golly, was this program and the, the those teams just so rock solid in all of the things that Nebraska now isn't. And that like until that gets tightened up, it doesn't matter how good Adrian Martinez is or how lacking the wide receiver core is. Like if you can't tighten that up, then we're probably going to be having the same conversation for years to come. Yeah, you know, it's a great point. I think it's funny. I was almost uh <clears throat> you you almost echoed what I was thinking as you were talking about it. I mean, it's it's not just you know, Amon Green being able to juke the guy at the second level and make a 12-yard gain into a 42-yard gain. It's it's third and three, uh, being able to execute, you know, an ISO play to move the sticks. Yes. Where if you, where if if the left guard, you know, jumps or you know misses his block, it's fourth and one, and the drive ends. I mean, it's just it's little stuff like that, and and I think you know Nebraska is so prone to those mistakes and inconsistency. And, and I think, you know, I think there is a, a component of that that is just talent based. Yeah, where, sure. Um, you know, g- good players um, find a way to, to make the play every time where, you know, uh, an average player only does it 60% of the time, but, but there clearly is something else at work. And, and I think there is a, a concentration, a discipline, a culture, um, and, and that's the part that is so puzzling because you're exactly right. Going back to the main point, I mean, let's go back to the Purdue game last year, you know, right. or the right. Northwestern game two years ago. 
Nebraska shouldn't lose that game. I mean, Nebraska is better, should be better than those teams. And they generally look better than those teams most of the time. It's just that they, you know, it's, it's the turnover uh, at the critical time. And, and I think even if you don't get Jalen Waddle in here, uh, <laughs> there is, there's such room for growth just from like four wins to, to seven wins, eight wins, just by tightening that stuff up. And that's, that's really frustrating. And I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to wade back into an old argument here, but you know, there was a sense that when, when Nebraska fired Bo Pelini that, wow, they can't get any worse than this. Well, oh, they've God. gotten worse than that because they've, you know, they've gotten even worse in some of those areas. Um, and so I think it's, uh, it's the whole, it's the whole, um, it's a lot of things right now. It's, you know, they got to find better players, uh, but they also got to get better in the little details. Two more things. You're out of here. Uh, I do think we got to, we got to at least salute to a certain extent. I do think like my analogy on the radio always in my wannabe Colin Cowherd mode was like, you know, you can track a package, right? Like you can, you can track your package and even though it's not arrived yet, it feels good to know, okay, it's in Charlotte. Now it's in Missouri. Now it's in Kansas. Like it's getting closer. Like I do kind of see that with the defense right now to a certain extent. Like I do, I, I think the defense is taking some strides. Now, some of that is probably a product of the overall expectation level you have for a side of the football. But I, I do think there is some validity to that like when you ask yourself which side of the ball has been furthest from your expectation level uh and from a positive standpoint I mean it's unequivocally the defense I guess do you how do you view the defense right now because I think we got to at least acknowledge that component yeah I, I think it was better I think it was uh, that trend started last year and and I think it's you know continued to to progress a trend in the right direction um I think it's you know, the Ohio State thing was really a, a difficult gauge, I thought, yes. just because a lot of times the defense was in the right spots and Justin Fields, you know, yeah, just put the ball where yeah. put the ball where it had to be. Right. Um, but but yeah, I feel pretty good about the defense, especially looking looking ahead at their schedule the rest of the way that, you know, Nebraska can can keep can keep itself in the game, um, can give its offense opportunities to win the game. And you know, a lot of the defensive guys are, are young. I think, um, you know, there's they're pretty good depth up front. So so there are reasons for hope there. Um, you know, Northwestern generally makes your defense look pretty good. And that's, you know, sort of Northwestern likes to get in a little, you know, they get in a lot of wrestling matches out on the football field where the games yeah. are pretty ugly. And, um, you know, I think sometimes your defense feels pretty good in, in settings like that. But, but uh, I do take a lot of, you know, hope from Nebraska's defense on Saturday and even against Ohio State. I mean, they gave up, you know, they gave up 50 points, but it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it, as it looked on the scoreboard. I thought Nebraska was in good position. So, um, man, you look at a guy like Luke Reimer and you're, and you're like, can Nebraska just find 11 guys like that? <laughs> I know. That's how it is. Do you uh... – you, you, we touched on it. I mean, what do you, what do you do at the quarterback spot? What do you think's going to happen? I mean, I think there's probably, you know, Adrian Martinez at this point, and I've kind of been a, a Martinez defender uh, up until uh, up until last week. I just, I don't know. There's a large enough sample size to probably be able to draw a conclusion on what Martinez is in this particular situation. And at the end of the day, the team isn't scoring points and the team isn't winning. You probably, I mean, probably got to go with Luke, right? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I would imagine that, and this is a, this is speculative, obviously, but I would imagine that there have been people around Scott Frost for the last 10 months um, who have been tapping him on the shoulder um, and been saying, Hey, you know, you got to make the change, right. you know, it's time. And I think, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, one primarily being that Scott Frost is a former quarterback himself and, and knows what a drastic move that is uh, to replace a starting quarterback. But I would guess, you know, he's, he's just been very reluctant to do that based on what it will do to Adrian Martinez and his relationship with Adrian Martinez. And, you know, there's a human nature element, <clears throat> a human nature element to this that, that I think is makes that move difficult, uh, especially when you're a for, former quarterback yourself. But, but I think um, not only to give the team a spark, but also to show your team and your locker room uh, a little bit of sense of urgency and accountability. I think it's important to to make that change and at least give Luke a shot. Yeah. <laughs> now, like I said earlier, I, I don't think he's going to light the world on fire. I don't either. Um, I think he has deficiencies in the passing game that are somewhat reminiscent of Taylor Martinez. Um, and I think Nebraska is going to have some, you know, third and sevens that they don't convert because Luke doesn't deliver the ball where it needs to be delivered. But the hope is that he can recreate some of that big play ability that a Scott Frost offense, you know, really, really needs. And especially this Scott Frost offense, because there just isn't a lot of that uh, in the rest of the field. Get you out of here with a, uh, we'll, we'll get out of here on a, on a, I want to talk about Nebraska basketball. One question on him for a second. What do you want to see from, from Fred Hoiberg's team in year two? Because it was, I mean, last year was just, it was tough because it's a brand new team and that's kind of how it, it is again this year. But like where, where Nebraska was weak and vulnerable, which was in inside, was where the Big Ten was great. Like, every Big Ten team had a great five-man, pretty darn good four-man. So it was kind of a perfect storm in that regard. And then this year, it's, Big Ten's probably going to be the deepest league in the, in, in the nation again. I don't think there's any question, like, there's more raw talent on this roster. But piecing all that together is, is, is hard. What recognizing that it could be a disjointed season, like we said at the top here, what do you want to see? Yeah, I don't expect a lot from Nebraska basketball this year. I'd be surprised if they're above 500. Um, but I think what you want to see is you want to see them score. You know, yeah. you want to see them be a, this is sort of a parallel to the Scott Frost, you know, theme, but I think you want to see Fred Hoiberg's offense stress a defense and make shots and, you know, spread the floor and, you know, knock down three pointers and sort of have the components of a, of a traditional Fred Hoiberg offense where, where a year from now you can say, well, you know, Nebraska's got the other pieces in place, but, but I think last year was such a lost year. I mean, yeah. um, it was really like a debacle. I mean, if, if even by Nebraska basketball standards, it was, it was a debacle. And, and I think, you know, you want to see this sort of feel like year one uh, reset, you know, where you, you have a little bit, a little better talent, uh, a little bit more cohesiveness, but I think you really need to see, you know, Nebraska be in the top, you know, be in the top 50 offenses in college basketball this year. I think that would be a good, you know, a good gauge for, for where they need to be going forward. The league is really, really tough. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure Nebraska is going to take their licks, especially, you uh, know, especially inside. But, but I think offensively, you'd like to see them have some, some, 
some bursts, you know, some outbreaks okay. where they have some games where, where they really light it up. And, and that would sort of go back to, to Hoiberg's, you know, Iowa state days where even when they weren't a great team, they, they could have some stretches where they just look phenomenal offensively. And that's what I'd like to see this year. Dirk Chatlin, Omaha world Herald, read his stuff, be a subscriber. I am. It's excellent coverage, uh, from, from really everybody at, uh, at the Omaha world Herald. Dirk, uh, great stuff. Really, uh, really appreciate your time today, brother. We'll catch up soon. Hey, thanks, Nick. I listen all the time. Thanks, man. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.